Hey folks, welcome to episode 159 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Taylor Spike. He is an ultra runner who has completed over 10 50 mile ultra marathons. And he's raced in ultra marathons that are 100 miles and even 200 plus miles long. Taylor wrestled with substance abuse from the time he was a teenager into his adulthood. Taylor runs ultra marathons and does several other forms of recreational adventure sports with his family across the generations, from grandchildren to his own father. Taylor has spent his life reflecting on his relationship with substances, obsessive tendencies, craving intensity, and walking a healthy path for himself. He shares his pursuit of self-improvement and fulfillment with his father and uses those experiences to teach them to his children. This episode cut out due to technical issues for the last half of the interview. In that part, we talked about how Taylor copes with his tendencies and how that influences his ultra running and play. I hope to have him back on so we can go into more detail about that on another episode, but the rest of the episode that is intact delves into Taylor's experience parenting stepchildren and biological children, connecting with his father and children on self-improvement and developing a quality life without excess self-harm, and more. I admire Taylor for his ability to not just be sober and cope with his destructive tendencies, but to turn that energy into routine behavior that allows him to experience in running hundreds of miles. That behavior subjects himself to non-standard states of consciousness that seems very powerful, from the deliriousness of not sleeping and staying up for days on end, or pushing your body um, against you know discomfort or just doing one thing for hours on end um, and being able to share those experiences with his children and his father and grandchildren and you know himself I think it's so beautiful to check out Taylor you can find him on Instagram at tspike2 and before we play the episode, um, I'm going to play you in with a song by Trevor Hall called The Old Story. I thought it was pretty fitting. <laughs> Enjoy. You could play it out, but all of it's in your head. Holding on with both two hands Gotta let go now Is it really you Knocking at your own door Always looking for something Let that good river flow into 
Maybe not. <laughs> All right. Taylor Spike, man, you are the man, the myth, the legend, the one who loves to run. You you were formerly had an abusive relationship with um, with drugs or alcohol. And you have one of the most beautiful beards I've ever seen. <laughs> so the biggest question that I have for you is how do you get your beard so long? Oh man. <laughs> well, first I want to say, I appreciate you having me. Uh, you know, this is a, I've, I've listened to your stuff for a while now. I know you and I have kind of bounced around here and there and um, I, I'm excited. We finally connected. And I think uh, the drawn out part of it's actually better for us both. Uh, yeah. And the beard man, it's just, just wash up, get up, wash it, comb it, go about your day. I don't, <laughs> I used to put stuff in it, oil, everything. I just quit. I just brush it. 
Yep. That's that's what I figured too. I was putting oil in it, and then it just felt like, oh, this is just taking so much time, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm the same. It's like I just want to get up, be able to brush it, and then it's like, I, I, it, well, the whole dependency thing. I don't want something that's going to hinder me. And if I'm somewhere and I don't have it, I don't want to have to deal with it. So <laughs> that's that's what I found out was like the any time that I um, you know get into a routine where I have something, it there's a point to where if I do it consistently enough, it becomes comfortable. And yeah. then if I'm not able to do that thing that's comfortable, I'll just feel really anxious and worried. Yep. No, same, <laughs> same deal. But yeah. a comb is easy to do because the thing is, is like for people out there who don't have beards, they're like, usually it's, it's some kind of oil. And if you're going to pack an oil with you, it can get everywhere. And you got to yep. put it on your hands, smear it in your beard, Gross. Spill all over your hands, man. But Gross. with a comb, it's like whip the comb out, brush, 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 and just move on. Yeah. yeah. You got it. And I found out the, is this true for you? Or is it just because I got crazy thick hair that mm -hmm. if you don't brush, that's, that's terrifying because then you could put like a comb in there and it'll oh. get stuck like yeah. cement, man. Same. Yeah. Or you'll just, you'll be brushing and think you got it good and you'll hit a spot that something's there. Oh, like after Coca-Dona, not good. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, could you tell me about, uh, your history with, with substances? Um, yeah. Um, I guess, uh, you know, just before this, I was thinking about, you know, what, what that really, you know, started as or what it looked like. Um, and I, you know, I hear other people talk about that and I, I guess I can't, I hear people say, Oh, I took that pill that one time. I felt so good. I, I don't ever remember that, you know? So, um, for me, you know, growing up, uh, dad was an alcoholic drinking was a regular social thing in the house. Um, you know, uh, he drank, he smoked, he chewed, he was worked on a paving crew. Um, you know, he worked his ass off and, and he had beer at night and growing up, never thought that was a big deal. Right. Um, but for me it was, um, yeah, high school, high school, probably hanging out with guys and trying to outdo somebody, you know, I remember drinking at lunch, um, tapping into the vodka bottle at the buddy's house and, uh, you know, we would do that. that. That was, you know, junior, senior year, that became kind of a regular thing, but was weird. It wasn't on the weekends necessarily. It was around other people. It was trying to find a connection, trying to find community, trying to fit in. Um, I, I think that that's what, that's how it started for me. Uh, I Did you do that one up? Was that one, was the one upsmanship um, like part of it or was that just an occasional thing? Um, I think it was part of it. I, I remember moving uh, to the to a new school in a new area. I didn't know anybody. Um, you know, my sister and I didn't want to move or like I think fifth or sixth grade, you know, really looking back at it, moving my son at 12 years old, that's hard because that's when they're really trying to find, you know, connect. They do find it right. They're starting to kind of identify. They know us. They know their friends. And they and so we kind of got uprooted. And then it was just, a, it was just, you know, I remember trying out for the basketball team, didn't make it, trying out for the soccer team, didn't make it. Well, all these kids, you know, so it was always this. You're you always finding somewhere to belong and then you try yeah. to come up and you don't get accepted in that way. Yeah. And then the crowd that I fit in with is a crowd that I shouldn't have been around. Yeah. You know, they're, you know, not saying everybody needs to play sports, but they're not playing any sports. They're sitting around turning wrenches and, and just hanging out. And, uh, you know, that's, some people do that. They like that, but it put me down the wrong path for a long time. Yeah. Yes, that's um, an interesting thing because I've had that experience when I was growing up because I overdosed, you know, on alcohol and like a, a variety of different pills. Um, and I was 12 hanging out with like, you know, uh, seniors in high school and stuff like that. 
Right. I don't categorize that as like I was intending to overdose. And I don't think that I was, um, my dosage was wrong, but my intent behind the dosage wasn't to get as high as I possibly could. It was a one-upsmanship. And yeah. there's a thing that I, that I hear um, with people who get into this, like uh, per, the perspective of what one-upsmanship is. And inherently it sounds like it could be a bad thing, but I actually think that it, it has its, it has its positive place. Right. Yeah. And that's where it's like, I, I, it's not that I was participating in the one-upsmanship. It's perhaps that I didn't have anywhere to, um, to unravel my self-worth. You know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And doing it alone didn't do you any good. Right. You know, it was, uh, you could go out and do stuff. But there was no, uh, there was no gauge there. There was nobody encouraging you. Uh, you know, my, like I said, my dad worked a lot. So it was mm -hmm. me and my sister just hanging out in the, we had five acres out in the woods and we just, I rode my three wheeler and we just hung out and, you know, so then to get around people and then everybody's getting excited. Then that was, it was on. Do you, yeah. Would you consider that play like, um, from your perspective, like something that you're trying to engage in is a form of play. Uh, the drinking part or yeah. 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 Cause even looking back it, you know, my addiction and it, you know, how I got to there, I still, maybe this sounds bad, but I, I don't feel my dad and I've had this conversation too, is we don't really feel like we, maybe we weren't really, now that we run and having, you know, maybe a little bit of an abusive relationship with that, we look back and think, well, maybe, maybe it really wasn't the alcohol. Mm -hmm. right my dad's 70 years old it's hilarious he and i have in this conversation that he's like oh. he's like whoa you know what you know i think you know and it's it's just weird um because it's you know now that we have this new thing that we're addicted to and we're doing all the time and it's socially everybody's okay with it yeah you know we look back on these other things that we did and we're like well maybe it really wasn't that mm -hmm. um so it's so if that helps yeah if i I think that's actually an, an, a very normal thing in that you recognize. And I don't think it's just substances. Um, I think that one thing I analogy I love to use is if you really like to race cars, um, yeah. if you choose to go on the highway and you want to race cars, you know, illegally, right. And you're going to race all the way from Seattle to Portland. Um, you can do that and you can go over the speed limit and do whatever. Uh, most of the time people are going to be concerned. Um, police are going to try to stop you. If you win um, and people find out, you could probably get arrested or fined. Um, and then like, you know, if you, something bad happens, you could hurt someone who is like an innocent bystander, etc. But if you were to apply that same desire and you were to put it into a rally race or into like an amateur race, you would um, be cheered and congratulated. People would right. give you a medal if you win. And if you lost, they would be encouraging. Your family would be proud of you. And they'd want to like, some people might even aspire to be like you. Yep. You know, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think about that a lot because that's what I, I would encounter that in, in running is that um, these feelings of intensity and that feeling of belonging and community it felt like everything I was trying to find, um, but just in the wrong kind of place. And my my mom and my culture at the time, I guess, is reminds me of the situation that you were in where, you know, she was doing the best that she could to take care of us. Um, the professional life was kind of laid out, but the play and what you do outside of that really wasn't. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, my mom worked a ton. She, she did jazz. She worked a couple of jobs. I remember at a time um, for you know a lot of our childhood. It was just my sister and I at home, and 
Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That's, I guess I didn't think of it that way, you know, even sports and being, you know, out in a, commu- a community that was kind of removed from the city, so to speak, uh, sports were harder to get into and they were harder to be part of. And it was a, it was a hall for my parents to get us there. You know, we were dependent on other people and it was an inconvenience, but work was never an inconvenience, right? You work a 10, 12 hour day. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great way to look at that. So it's amazing that you get to have this, this relationship with your dad and you guys are able to together reflect on your life and how it's changed. Yeah. Yeah. It can be horrible too. Um, because you know, it's taken me almost 45 years of my life to have a conversation with my dad about how, how he talks to me, right. Or how we communicate. So, but it's growing up, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> growing up. The one thing that he and I say all the time is that, you know, we might be just alike, but the good thing is, is I figured it out, you know, 25 years before he ever did. <laughs> yeah. And how, how, how is that to be able to get to certain places and introduce concepts to your father? Like, what's that like for you? Because some people can be so fixated on the role of like, you know, parent and child and like, you know, authority figure and stuff that you may never get to that place. And that place, if it's anything like what I have with my mom, because we talk about addiction, all these things, and just life too. Um, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, I got to work into it. There's there's things that will come up that will really really bother me. Yeah, and and I just have to find the right timing. Because my dad, you know, he's got his own stuff, and he likes to vent on me and share what he's got going on, and 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 then sometimes the timing isn't right. But there's definitely things that I really go towards because I, it's going to help him. I know it will. And just making him, getting him to realize that maybe it's not this and maybe it's that. Like we were having a conversation the other day. I was like, dad, I think you got ADHD. I said, seriously. I said, I, you just, I think it's textbook, you know, Oh, you, I don't know, you know, but Hey, you know, and then it was a conversation. I said, there's foods that affect that there's diets, there's things and the things that we consume every day and his nutrition is horrible. So it was like, I was just trying to get him to recognize maybe there's other ways to fix it without, having to go get a pill or, or, or talk to somebody. Right. So how do you usually approach someone like that? Especially somebody that you love when my experience as a father is, is that I can be so, um, I can, uh, have such insight into my own thing that I'm learning. Right. Maybe it's just exercise in some way and how it can be fun and playful. And I've learned that I have to be very careful in how I share that with my son. Because the way that I share that could actually push him away um, even more. And the more, sometimes I could be too excited about it and go too far and just fuck it all up. And I think of this with people in my life who, if you're not like abusing substances, um, then, you know, maybe it's a diet thing. Like there's just all these things and like I have things too, but it's like, you know, if I figured something out, I'm trying to learn how to share that better. So I'd love to hear what you do. Um, well, I've had three sons, right? I've, I've raised three boys <laughs> and now Paxton's going to be a teenager pretty soon. So wow. each of those three approaches have been completely different, right? One, you're growing up with them, you know, and, and you just, I think, yeah, it was like, come with me, let's do this. Right. And it was kind of, you know, you're trying to lead the way, um, maybe a little recklessly and not your, your intent's good, but it's, it's scattered. I guess let me reel back. So like with, I have to identify the things specifically I think it's going to most benefit the, the boy, right? Mm-hmm. So Paxton, 
he was, you know, worried about school. He wasn't going to pass the sixth grade. You know, <laughs> he's, it's just a moment, right? And mm-hmm. It was the end of the school year and he had a couple bad marks and he just kind of went this panic. Well, it turned into this, Hey, you need to run for 30 minutes and you need to read for 30 minutes every day. I said, I guarantee you Paxton, if you do that little bit, right? Just each day, your grades will improve immediately. Oh no, 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 no. Well, a couple of days later, him being worried about his grades, right? And, and I, he's not doing anything. He's playing video games all day long, hanging out with his buddy, riding bikes. You know, they're not playing any sports. Um, there's no real community outside of school. It's just, so it was me trying to get him on his feet, right? Get him out of the house and, and find him, get him doing something a little bit better that I knew would improve his life, right? So I told him, just do this 30 for 30. You'll see immediate results. Well, a couple of days later, they update the grades. He was worried about his grades. He did the work, right? He fixed his grades, but now this running and reading thing became a thing to him. Like, wow, maybe that does work, right? And I and I just I told him, I said, someday you'll thank me. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. But it's that and leaving it, but reminding him every day, hey, did you read? Did you did you run? Did you do did you do what you're gonna do? Do you have to just do a little bit more, right? And and staying on him, right, with the other boys. Um, my approach would have been completely differently. It would have been, Hey, we're going to sit down and read. Hey, we're going to go run. Uh, um, you know, it would have been, uh, it would have been maybe more of a punishment, like a, like a chore than, Hey, this is something you got to do. You know, here's your day. You can do it in the morning. He can read in the morning. He can run in the morning. He can do it at night, but it's 30 and 30. So. What I would have originally, which is it was it felt more like a chore in the way that I was trying to um, trying to teach my son or introduce those concepts. And like there's a I guess there's a time and a place for some things. Right. But I realized that from my own perspective, because I I get into this thing about school um, where when I would try to in the public education system, for some reason, I wasn't buying into a lot of these different concepts. I wasn't engaged and passionate. But now it's like I want to learn about like, you know, highfalutin mathematics because i realized that it's like a way to describe symmetry in life and to describe things that you can't actually visualize and it's like oh and i'm like all excited and passionate in in these things and i don't really understand why one was you know self-motivated in the other that no matter how hard it was it was hard to self-motivate me and what i was doing to my son is is instead of figuring out ways to like uh help work with him and, and help open him up um and guide him yeah i was trying to direct him yeah and yep yeah no that's yeah that's a yeah and that's like there's a million things i could sit down i mean i used to be i would think i got to come home every day and spend 15 minutes with my kid doing this you know and that isn't that that doesn't work and it it creates a you know a little resentment there i think with the kids and i and that's where it's now we have to pam and i have to identify what it is you know we'll talk a little bit and usually it takes a week or two then the timing will be good. Something will come up and you, as long as you stay on it, it's fresh in your mind. You have an opportunity to deliver it your, to your kid in a way that hopefully they can scratch their head and they get it right. Mm-hmm. Otherwise we're just mumbling to them. You yeah. Know? yeah. Just wah, 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 wah. Yeah. And then you're just, it's all day, every day. And then they start blocking it out, but you get to sprinkle it and then, you know, water it a little bit and then come back around to it. And you know, like, we'll read and talk about what he read and it, you know, it's engaging. So it's, mm-hmm. it's good. It seems like uh, what you were mentioning there about the blocking it out is, is if you can maintain the relationship um, to where it's like that two way street, right? Where, cause I think that I see, but maybe cause I haven't had a teenager yet, but maybe this is just what happens when children are teenagers, but um, that you, could you, could you aim to have a relationship where 
you're trying to have open communication and would you make the cost benefit analysis of like, if I push this boundary, will it sacrifice our communication or our trust? Cause I've seen people who are like, you know, kids, maybe this is a big one. Like uh, parents, uh, the parent, when they were a kid, their parents struggled with drug abuse mm -hmm. and then they're an adult and they're like, I didn't do drugs. And, you know, and now I'm starting to use them as an adult, but like from this conscientious thing, trying to avoid what my parents went through. And then they see their kid and they're like, I want to do the best for you. It's like we all mostly do. Um, and then his kid gets into smoking weed and without him like knowing it. And then he finds out and then the finding out, it sends him into like that panic mode and then he goes into overdrive. And I see that because you don't want, you don't want some things to happen, but when they like, when they happen, how do you go about that? And how much do you sacrifice the relationship in the process? I think that with my, like with my mom, because she doesn't eat healthy. So like, how do I have that conversation with her without alienating her and making me her like, Oh fuck, I got to go to Thanksgiving dinner with that guy again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, yes. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, with my, with my dad, it's like that talking about food stuff. Yeah. I didn't think of it. That's pretty funny. Cause I know that's probably what he does. You know, what do you want to, that's why everybody always asks me probably that what, what do you want to eat? I said, I don't care, you know, but I do care. I do too. <laughs> yeah. My son's yeah. like, um, he was asking my friend cause my friend will make my son like his dessert for his birthday. And yeah. my son's like, can you make a keto cake or keto donuts? And he's like, why do you want that? And he's like, my dad, well, I want my dad to eat a lot of it. Yeah. Like, I'll eat it, man, no matter yeah, what. Don't, yeah, don't worry about that stuff, bud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, man, a blended family, um, you know, raising, uh, you know, a, a son in a blended family and, uh, you know, kind of essentially being part of one growing up. Um, you know, that type of stuff changes all that dynamic because I'll tell you what, with my own son, with Paxton and Jaden both, it was, you can say things to your kids um, when they're blood, that you would never get away with if they're your step. You might think it, and maybe some people do, and maybe, and I'm sure, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I'm going to back, I'm going to real back. I'm sure there's people in blended, you know, families that have a great relationship and everything is good. But I'll tell you, there's times and things that I've said to my, to Paxton that I would never, ever even have thought about saying to a stepson. It, it would have crushed him. It would have broke him. Um, I, I get that because that's a that's a conflict that I had quite a bit and that's something that I had to talk to my son about and talking to my son about was my own admission of my I don't know if it's a hypocrisy or if it's like just the like, <laughs> just the, the dilemma of the dynamic because it's like well, I don't like this is I, I'm responsible for this child but my relationship to that child isn't the same as my relationship to you. Well, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. That's so hard. I don't. Yeah. And I've, I've started to realize that I think a lot of it has to do with, um, I didn't, you know, you, if someone comes into your life later and identifies flaws, you have an awful hard time swallowing it. Oh, right. Yeah. If you have somebody that's been with you all along and they say, why do you always do that? That's it's easy. Um, and, and I think our kids know us so well. Um, and I think when you come into a blended family that the little the little ones looking at you and analyzing everything you're doing and you're not doing it to them and they know your flaws and at some point you're going to get called out i think we're terrified it's going to happen yeah it was to me i was always worried that i was going hey 
you're a hypocrite. You know, mm-hmm. you did this, you did, that. you know, yeah, your children know your flaws. <laughs> so for me, that was, I think a lot of it. Um, and with Paxton, I, you know, he's, he knows, and I know, you know, it's, we've been together, you know, it's just different, I guess. Yeah. But. Well, it's beautiful though, is that, so I think, wait, cause if you and I are pretty similar, right. And I know that we all have variants, but I've had this conversation with um, like a blended family before situation before you know as a parent to a child and i think those are actually moments to prepare that person for um for for boundaries and for for also for wrestling how do you draw certain boundaries doesn't have to be so highly complicated conversation but it could be really simple because i love it all the time with like if i'm having a heart if i make a mistake you know um, whether it's like emotional or like a literal like mechanical mistake you know like i trip and fall or something and i get hurt like those are that's i am my son you know in the future and it's like like he's not going to be exactly like me but some of these things are just human problems you know yeah and so how how can i like you know get expose him into this like experiential learning process with me so he sees that i'm not doing something out of like um, intentional, uh, malice, right? Most of the time it's like, I have a pretty good intent. Some of the time I might be having a real hard time, but most of the time, I think most of us have a good intent and yeah. it's how you weed through that and communicate with the people to like get where you need to get. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Yeah. And I, and I think just being positive about that stuff. Right. And that's where, uh, you know, and encouraging and not quitting, I, I guess, you know, for Paxton, getting him in the mountains and doing that type of stuff has been kind of our tool for that. Um, you know, I remember one time he, he wanted to quit. He was, we were walking up Mount Pisgah and he was young and he just sat down in the trail and it was a really easy conversation to say, you know, you, 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 we, you need your family. You, you can't just give up. You, you can't just sit on the trail and mom and dad are going to hike up the mountain and everything's going to be okay because you're little and you, you need us, right? Mm-hmm. So as a family, we're going to get up and we're going to go up the mountain together and we're going to do this, right? And having that conversation is super easy in the moment, right? And that's where I think, for, you know, a lot of those things for him, we we go on hikes. That's always the that's always the time to talk to him because you can physically show him that stuff, right? You're going to trip and fall. You're going to get tired. You're going to get hungry. You're going to be grumpy. You're not going to have any water. You know, life's hard, but, you know, there is there's comfort there if you if you can wrap your mind around it a little. So it's... Yeah. What about the situation of um, specifically with children, but I'm sure this applies to just your own self, right? Um, what about hiking or running um, lends itself to working on all that shit? Because that's the stuff that you could learn in any in a lot of other situations. But why in this situation does it seem to lend itself to those kinds of lessons for yourself or for children, friends? Um, for us, I think it's the solitude you know, the, you know, boredom, yeah. you know, you're, you're out there for hours, you know, in the middle of the night, I remember taking Paxton up at like 11 PM to hike up because that was the only time in the evening was, it was going to be cool. It was like so dang hot all day. And mm-hmm. a couple hours, you're out there in the middle of the woods and he quits talking about whatever video game he's been playing or about his friends. And, you know, then the new conversations start. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that seems to be, and that's, that'd be, and it's gotta be, you know, you can't do a 10 minute walk and think that your kids are going to open up. Right. You know, we, I did fast food Fridays with my boys. We would go do milkshakes and cheeseburgers on Fridays and we go to different places. Cause I realized if I start stuffing their face with food, they'd eventually start talking. 
right? And they'd start sharing their day, right? And you go, they'd be at the table and I'd just kind of be listening, but I, they would start to open up. Um, but you, it's gotta be something distracting, right? And it's gonna yeah. take some time. And there's gotta be some focus there because when they get bored, they, they'll talk. Mm-hmm. So, but. and so you, that moment of emptiness and boredom, you're actually looking for that. Like you're oh, yeah. expecting, you're not, Oh, let's hurry up and get through this so we can get to the thing. There's no, part of you that's, this is an important process. I need to be away from, I, an hour away from the car. I need to be, you know, removed. Um, absolutely. And I, and I would say the same as for my, my wife and the kids. So you need to be out there alone. It's quiet. There's nothing else to do. So we don't take books or anything when we go into the mountains or anything. I mean, there's like zero distraction. I mean, we don't have, you know, some people will take books or something to go read. Rarely will we do that. Um, maybe once or twice I've done that. Intentionally I would have, but you know, we're out there alone. It's a, you know, there's mornings we just sit and watch the sun come up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We don't fish, Uh, you know, we don't go in there and fish or do any of that type of stuff. We're just on foot. So is that um, a choice that you make out of self-discipline or were there experiences in your life that had persuaded you to fall in love with doing it that way? Um, I, I think adding things caused, caused frustration. Um, you know, <laughs> having to pack the poles, having to take all the stuff, um, just yeah. try to be as minimal and, you know, uh, re- yeah. R- running taught me that because just, I don't know if it teaches other people that, but for me, it's like, I would go out and go on my trail runs and you get, I got to the point to where, you know, I do it consistently enough in a week that I feel all different kinds of feelings, you know, yeah. and some of my runs, I might feel kind of sick, you know, a little bit and I have to just deal with it and learn how to work with myself and change expectations, all that other stuff, right? But still commit. Um, There's one thing I realized was that I liked music and I would flip between, oh, but you're out here in nature. You shouldn't listen to music. Oh yeah, you shouldn't yeah, listen to podcasts. And I was like, her. But then I would, um, I would throw that out because sometimes I do that, sometimes I wouldn't. Um, and then I got to the point to where I just wouldn't care anymore. I listened to my audiobooks, listened to music. Um, and I was having these experiences where I would be feel frustrated. I don't know. It was like frustrated. Like my, it'd be my heart. Like I was going, you know, five to 10, somewhere right yeah. around there in my effort level. Um, my heart would be, be beating. Like there's just like this weird feeling that I'd have kind of like not itchy, but a little restless like that. Yeah. And I just want to rip headphones out of my ears. Cause it's yep. just like, it's so, it's just too much going on, man. There's a lot going on in my body right now. So it just adds to it. Yep. And I take it off and like, I could just, I was just go for hours without, without anything. And not even like, you know, distracting myself with intentional thoughts. Sometimes my mind would drift or wouldn't, but I was just in this beautiful free floating place. Like, yeah. Same. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't wear a watch. I, years ago, I learned that it just it stressed me out. I mean, knowing my pace or how far I'd been, I want to know what time it is. That's good to know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rest of it, it was the same same deal. I mean, I've had those times that you, know, you make it a mile from the car, you know, and you just turn around <laughs> and walk back. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and a lot of that. So, you know, I used to go Wednesday night, I'd do big runs in the mountains. I mean, I would do, go nine o'clock at night. We'd head up in the summer and um, but doing things like that, um, intensity, right. Chasing something because I wanted to be removed because I thought that's what I needed, uh, you know, to try to chase that 
that thing, uh, like what I think we can all do when we go for a run, we hope to have this euphoric moment, right? <laughs> but to chase it every day and over chase it, wearing the watch, paying it with the headphones, paying attention to things that just stressed me out. I just, I had to reel back and start to remove. That's one reason I don't go to the mountains during the week. Typically I stay home, stay on the flat ground around oh, the house. Really? Yeah. During the week I'll try, maybe if I'm training for something, I'll go hit the Hills, but not like I used to. I used to put a lot more midweek miles into the mountains. Um, but it's, uh, it throws life balance off. It's too much. It's, uh, I'm chasing something that, you know, it's, it's not worth. What's, um, what's a prior, what would be your hierarchy there? If you could put a hierarchy to it, would you, um, between your physical body and physical training, and your, your, your mindset and your mental training? Like, do you have a priority of one over the other? Well, my mental part is the piece and the only way I get there is physically, right? Yeah. I, I would say, um, but it's my mental well-being, man. If I, you know, yesterday we, I was in Salt Lake and we did a 50 miler on Saturday and I was wrecked. And yesterday we were sitting around, it's kind of getting late afternoon. It's 99 degrees outside. And um, I'm, I shouldn't have been running, but I had to, I had to, <laughs> I had to go get that 20, 30 minutes, get things moving again. Cause I was getting restless in my mind. Uh, you know, I started worrying about stuff. I, I get anxiety, man. My hands will start sweating. I gotta, I gotta do something. So yeah. the, in, in running, you, you mentioned, you talk about like the euphoria that, that you could get sometimes, yeah. um, what what's the range of feelings that you have from your experience running? I know it's probably really wide, but if you could just find something to ground it to, um, it feels like a dream. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just a after a couple hours, it's just a daze. Um, Is that daze? Does that last for a long period of time, or are those eight, like eighty short highs? Eighty-seven hours at Cocodona. I mean, it was the, it was the whole ride. It's the whole ride. Um, it's just like lucid dreams. It's just, it's just, for me, it's super vivid. Um, I remember, I think I remember maybe not conversations, but details, a lot of just crazy details. When I do that, it's just, there's a, you're overly focused uh, mentally. You're just, I don't know. I feel, you know, after you get to a point, it's, um, I mean, that's kind of what you're doing. Everybody's encouraging you. You don't have anything else to worry about. You've already processed everything in your life in the first 12 hours. I mean, if you've stayed up all night or stayed up for 24 hours, people, you're, people can go crazy. So mm -hmm. to do 80 or 60 or whatever those numbers are, it's just that gets even increasingly worse, I would say, you know, because I, you know, being in that, gosh, I, I try to think what how you would even, was, I mean, it's a, you're not, you're not like floating or it's not like a third, it's not like you're looking down. I don't, and I've never had that feeling. I've heard people yeah. say, Oh, I, an outer body experience. I've never had that. I just feel like I'm just super connected. Um, super focused. Uh, I'm listening to my body, every step, every turn. It's just, I'm processing what's going on in the moment. Could you compel yourself to feel that way without the activity? Uh, or, yeah, oh yeah. You feel like you, yeah. 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 Well, I guess, I guess I'd have to think about what context, right? Um, mm -hmm. Elaborate a little bit more on what you're thinking. Let me. Like if you, if you didn't have, if you didn't have running in your life um, or uh, some type of physical activity, right? That mm -hmm. would you be able to get in that state of mind? 
Oh man, I, no. Well, I don't know how. I would. You, it terrifies me. Would you feel at a loss if though you didn't get to experience that state of mind then? Oh yeah, because when I've been hurt and I've gone from running a hundred miles a week to not being able to take a step, it, it, it's it's terrifying. And I and I have never rode a bike. I did tried that. I got a bike. Tried to do that, and it didn't. It wasn't enough. Um, reading. I've tried to do all that type of stuff, and my mind is going a hundred miles an hour, and, and I don't I don't know how to get there other than running. Um, and I can take breaks from running intentional, you know, and I have times that I don't run. And usually, you know, there was no run November, I would take off. And then I usually end up hurt. I get something else will pop up and, you know, I have some back, some back issues and some stuff that, you know, is going to, is progressively getting worse, um, just being old. So it's, then I start to physically hurt when I take a break. So it's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's an addiction, man. I got to feed it, you know, yeah. unfortunately. And there's a, and when you, when you quit the addiction or whatever you're, you're committed to that way, there's repercussions of that. And mm-hmm. I, and I feel physically and it sucks. So, <laughs> <if that. laughs> so here's what I, where I get though, is that if you were to spend more of your time sitting and chilling than you were to move your body, do you know it would hurt moving? Like you're going to do something um, most of the time. And that's something that you do most of the time. If you, when you change that for whatever reason, if you have to or not, that's going to freak you the hell out. And that's going to put your body and your mind through a lot of stress. Because what I find is, is like, you know, when you lift weights and you can, um, you want to lift 500 pounds. If you go and do that, never lifting, you could potentially like, cause physical trauma or injure yourself and but that doesn't mean that you're not actually able to lift 500 pounds i mean that might be above what you could max out on relatively but you can strive for that the way to get there is not to do the hardest thing possible you find that you can incrementally approach there yeah my thing is is that that relationship is the same in reverse so if you can run 100 miles you could become like very sedentary and overweight and hurt and not able to walk up the stairs if over time you would regress all the way backwards and i would say that if if it hurts for someone who's sedentary to um to go and do like you know climb stairs and that's very challenging then why wouldn't the the exact opposite for you be challenging and not just sitting down for a moment right yeah but maybe at some point in your life being way out of exercise when you exercise a, a bunch yeah would be really painful and if it's not physically painful i imagine it's psychologically painful because i realize that there's um are you familiar with the definition the medical definition between addiction and abuse no like the addiction is um it has nothing to do with frequency it has okay. everything to do with if it interferes with um your ability to maintain your livelihood okay so if, yeah, if I'm like, you know, using cocaine or whatever once a month, but because I didn't get my Coke this month, I have to go and like take my, my rent money and I tell my son, fuck off, you're going to stay home by yourself. And then I go yeah. get Coke and wow. And then I got yeah. like my friend Tom and he does it every week, but he doesn't have it this week. And he's like, oh, you know, I don't get it this week. Next week will come. And he does everything he has to do because he didn't have the money for it. But 
um, that's 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 addiction. So uh, regardless of like people out there that I know, and this really hurts me though, that who are like day drinkers and functional alcoholics, technically might not have they have a physical dependency. Yeah, and that's not healthy, and that can actually be dangerous with alcohol. But they might not actually have an addiction if when they if they go through the shakes because they don't have money and they didn't use their bill money to go and buy the alcohol or whatever, right? They're yeah. holding their livelihood. That's hard for me to swallow because like some things, some kinds of lifestyles, I don't, I don't necessarily know how healthy that is for you or for people around you. Well, but- yeah, no. So prime example, two, 2015, I get hurt, right? I go from running hundred miles a week to not running. I picked up a bike. I was biking about hundred miles a week and running about 60 miles a week. And I was doing like 20 to 30 hours of exercise every week. And it was just bam, bam, bam. I'm riding my bike to work. I was riding my bike to Mount Pisgah to do runs, ride my bike home. It was like 20 miles there. Oh. The first, first week I had the bike, I was like, I couldn't run. But somebody told me that like a century ride on a bike was like a thing to do. And I got this single speed that I picked up at the bike shop. And what I do, I did a century ride on the thing, right? And it's like, just push, push, push. But then it was when I started to get to that point that I was like, I realized how much time and energy I was spending doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that was around the time that I got hurt again. And I had to super reflect on, um, you know, what I was actually doing. And that's when I put the bike away Uh, and I put the bike away and then my running really changed. And I I really shifted the whole thing more towards, um, you know, I can hang it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I can put it away and I'm okay with that, you know, for, for an amount of time, if I know I need to, uh, because there was a time that I couldn't run and you know, I was losing my shit. Um, but now what happens is I'll kind of, I'll feel a little burned out. I'll get tired. I kind of think I'm there today yeah, <laughs> yeah. really bad, but I, what I'll do is I'll hide all my running stuff. I'll put mm-hmm. it all away, you know, and, um, it, I have to force myself to keep it away. But if I know it's away and I'm not going to look at it, I'm not going to think about it. I'm okay. I mean, I'll read, um, I'll, I'll spend time with the kid, you know, there's, I'll find other things to do and I'm not nearly as crazy as I used to be. So I know I still need it and I can't get it any other way really than running, but you know, I've grown up and that's kind of the conversation my dad and I have had, you know, about the addiction pieces that we've grown up, you know, kind of identified some things and, you know, maybe what we thought was really bad and really dark and really horrible is really what maybe everybody else goes through. Mm-hmm. We've just had different, the wrong tool all along. Yeah. Um, because the, the tool that you have with at least with the exercise and stuff, like once again, when you're able to, because you got to like find, I'm going to say this in more of it sounds like more of like a medical kind of thing or even like a, a substance fashion, but like you got to get the dosage right, yeah. right? For your yeah. exercise or whatever it is that you're trying to do, even if yeah. you're trying to go for a goal. Well, right? you know, that's a twist, right? That's a piece is that like, you know, I used to be, oh, I'm going to do 70, 80 miles every week all the time. That's great. Mm-hmm. Fuck that, man. <laughs> 30, 40 sounds good. But you know what? There's an eight week block that I need to put in to get ready for a race. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, it used to not be that way. <laughs> I, like it, it didn't matter. It, I, this is what I'm doing every, you know, long runs in the winter. Now I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm running 20 miles a week, man. I, I'm skiing. You know, yeah. I'm something else i'm still getting out but i'm not running like i was because it's just too much and the balance gets off and it ruins you know your professional life your relationships at home with friends and it's just you're yeah but 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 going through that experience by the means of running 
right? It, it has a thing where you're able to work with your, yourself and yeah. we're able to work with all of these things with the tool of running and other tools too. Um, but if it were, if you were having to confront all those things and you were using substances, right, you'd be getting a DUI and like you wouldn't, you'd be losing your license and all these things. But if you're doing this with your body and you're, you're running and all these <laughs> other things, your nervous system can become taxed. You could become super fatigued. And yeah. those are things that are like, I mean, they're hard for you, but they're reasonable for your community to work with. And they're reasonable for you to work with as long as you don't lose your shit and do that yeah. your whole life and tell everyone to fuck off. But like yeah. the consequences of doing that, like you mainly beat yourself up more than the people around you. And yeah. I know it still affects your community, but with alcohol or any other drug, if you beat yourself up, it seems to dramatically affect your communities. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know a couple of back surgeries, you know, people are supportive and taking care of you and doing everything you need, you know, need help with. And no, you're right. And that that's all self-inflicted. I didn't have an injury my entire life that I remember until I started to run. Mm -hmm. And then it was a ruptured Achilles, a couple of back surgeries. I mean, I've I've been jacked. <laughs> so it's yeah. Finding out I had a rotator cuff that was torn, I didn't really know about. And I figured that out running from my shoulder swinging. I had this cramp in my back and it hurt all the way through my chest. Mm -hmm. And I finally went in and they checked it. Yeah, man, that rotator cuff is trashed. I wow. no idea. No idea. So running did that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, same deal, you know, go see a physical therapist, kind of pay attention to a few things and go about your business. Yeah. Right. Had had I been drinking or, you know, eating pills and you know, I'd wrecked a car or gotten pulled over or something, that that lesson would have been very, very different. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I think that I think about this with my son a lot where he was playing video games. He plays video games and sometimes he plays video games more than um, my adult perspective would like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like, but really, it's just I get concerned. Um, and what I'm getting concerned about is here's the thing is that I think I don't want him to experience what you experience. But guess what? I experience the same thing you experience. And if he's anything like me or you or my mom, or most people that I encounter, one way or another, he's going to have to f resolve that on his own yeah. and develop a relationship with, with what's the appropriate dose, what happens when I go too much, what happens when I go too little, how do I talk to myself, how do I respond to people around me? And like, it seems like what you're, we could talk about games, or we could talk about running, or we could talk about alcohol, or but it seems like you're kind of generally doing the same thing in terms of your character and the work on your own self. And when I look at my son and I want to impose all of these restrictions, some of them I'm sure I don't want him to have sex. Like, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want him to be doing like, you know, drugs or like heroin, but, um, but like you impose all these very firm restrictions because you don't want him to, or your child to experience maybe the same things that you do. But the reality is, is that they are a person just like yourself. Yeah, they are going to go through those things, and it's going to be painful. And like, you're in its own way painful. They could be, they're going to get angry, afraid, and they're going to be happy, and they're maybe even love things that you're terrified of. Yeah. Well, no, that's a. It, yeah, it's funny you say that because I, you know, here I am, and uh, you know, my sister and I, and we had brothers from a blended family. I've raised a blended family. I've made a, a, a lot of bad decisions, you know, in in my life, and just this last weekend, we were with our, our, our friends in Utah who have a, you know, beautiful family. They've lived a very different life than we have. Uh, they're educated, uh, they're, you know, financially in a better spot than I could ever imagine being in. And it's, it's super humbling 
to be in the scenarios and see those situations because the maybe the decisions or the things that they've gone through in life are drastically different than my, me, mm-hmm. but we kind of got to the same place, you know, different ways. It's like, you know, this waiting to have sex. That's one of the things that, you know, I never in a million years ever thought I'd be able to have a conversation with my son about actually waiting because our other boys were part of a blended family and it was plain as day that nobody was waiting for a shit. Right? <laughs> That's what you did. You, you chase tail. My son who's 21 now, I have grandkids, you know, I get it. But now we have Paxton who's 12 and we're like, you know what? We can, you know, Paxton who's 12, we're, we can, I think we can nail this down and we can have this conversation as parents and adults. Yeah. Right. And I yeah. not have spending time with our friends in Utah. I, I would have never thought of that. It would have never dawned on me that that was something because their families are very structured that way. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very clear. They're open about it. Um, and it seemed very taboo for me to ever talk to my kids about that type of stuff. But we realized with Paxson, we can. Yeah. You know, why we wait, why it's important, mm-hmm. you know, maybe what some of those feelings are right before it was weird, but. Yeah. And I understand that because that that's so that's the the honest thing. Right. In terms of a blended family um, and you're talking to somebody who's like you're talking to maybe a stepchild like that's that's a really hard thing to deal with. Uh Um, I would even almost say like I'm not going to say a a step parent is is much of a stranger, much of a distance person as like an educator. But like it's along the same line a little bit to where like. You know, not I know they teach like sex ed in school, but I mean, like if a teacher were to sit down one on one and yeah. have like a very personal conversation with that student, um, it's very touch and go sometimes. And I know from being in those institutions, there's some things that are very touch and go. Not even yeah. just that, like, you know, climbing a, a tree, being able to um, uh, uh, commit to risk, right, yeah. even if it's a little. And so with that, it's like, I'm taking care of you and you're part of my family, but like, I don't know, this is a boundary that I'm a little unsure about. Yeah. Well, and it's things like, uh, you know, and I think our kids, you know, they see themselves in us too. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think when we're talking to them and having those conversations and I just never, it never, it never dawned on us until we were with our friends and I had gone and talked to a, uh, the volleyball team there and their family was there and they were talking about boys and girls and my wife and I were like, this is crazy. Like open space with 30 people. They're having conversations about marriage and yeah, you know, maybe oh, wow. someday he and I, you know, and I'm like, we walked out of there, just psh, minds were blown, but oh. it just totally changed our perspective because we'd always been in this place that, you know, that's just, that's what we did. Yeah. I never, never even really thought that it was a, a, you know, to really ever push it, to be honest, Will, I never, we never thought we need to talk to Paxton about not doing it, you know, and why we don't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Rather than just, Hey, yeah, you just need to wait. That's crazy. But you know, showing him, him seeing it and mm-hmm. talking about it, that's, it's good. It, Cause then you're just like projecting all your fears right onto your kid and you're just giving them the quick thing like don't do that this is the boundary and then it from their perspective it doesn't look the same from your perspective right Right. yep and um and that's the thing that i've had to i had to learn about um i'm having to learn about substances because that's a hard thing with my with like especially with alcohol and that like my son's mom you know was a prior alcoholic and is in recovery um and it's like you get into this, I get into this thing where I could, I could be a father from the perspective of trying to prevent somebody from being, um, being falling into substance abuse when they're older and like code all of the learning around that. Or I can spend my time getting to know the person 
and getting into their values and asking them those questions. And then if I don't like the substance abuse thing, I'm like, well, once again, going back to exactly what you were saying with, the, you know, with Paxton and with sex and marriage and stuff is like, okay, I'm afraid of this, but why am I afraid of this? Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm just afraid that you're not able to, you know, um, take care of yourself and um, you're going to want to do things that you like so much that when everything else around you is falling apart, you continue to do the things that you like. And what I found out is, is I don't have to um, preempt whatever things I'm afraid of is because when we talk about video games and schoolwork, it's the same conversation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it can be anything that engages the kid. I mean, it can be playing the flute, reading a book, mm -hmm. you know, you try to pry them away from it. Hey, it's time to come to dinner. Oh, let me just finish this up. You know, it's, it's the same. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what I was joking about when I, or I always had it with the kid at um, the school. I was a one-on-one -on -one behavior tech with the kid who had emotional behavioral disabilities in like in the school system. And we would always have to, we'd have to wrap up our game and then go and do work. And we were doing a puzzle and it's like, Oh, we gotta go. It's time to be done. Cause he didn't really like the puzzle too much anyway. And I'm like, Oh, I want to do the puzzle. And he's like, come on. And when yeah. I found out it was with puzzles, it was all, it was really hard for me to pry myself away. And, um, he would be like, okay, we're not, we're not doing puzzles again. Cause listen, you always want to do the puzzle and you get really drawn into it. And I'm like, that's the same problem that we have with you when you want to, when you go out and play and you get aggressive and violent when you don't want to go into your work. Yeah. And it's like, so I don't know that's, this is how I feel. And it's the same way you feel. So how can we work together and how can you help me yeah. through this? And yep. yeah. Yeah. Your kids, that's like when, you know, losing Donovan and, you know, our boys and, you know, trying to explain to them that there's other kids out there that have lost siblings, mm -hmm. even though they feel like that's never, ever happened. Right. It's the same type of thing. You can experience something and, and other people, I mean, we're, we're all humans, right? We we've, someone has probably experienced what we're going through and someone has probably learned a lesson that they can share with you. Right. It says, how do you, how do you share it in a way that everybody gets it? Right. Yeah. That's, that's the twist. It is. And the thing that's comforting though, is that you, you experienced it and you bought into it and now you're motivated to continue to do it. So yep. there's something about it that you really enjoy. And, and that alone is really powerful, I think. Yeah. I've um, had that with when I'm doing, I've took my certification to be a yoga teacher for jujitsu. And that's what my teacher was talking about with, because I've never had a class where I get to teach how to or learn how to teach essentially. Right. And my thing is with teaching, it goes back to just the whole thing is that I would try to. Hello. <laughs> I would try to detail out like everything that they're going to experience, you know, and, yeah. and you have a thing where you're going to do handstands, right? And you're like, you have your hands on the ground and you can tell them you're going to jump and your feet, you know, might go over and push into your fingertips. And then if they go back, push into the heels of your hands and point your toe. There's like just so much information. And I realized that when you're doing all of that, people have a very short attention span. And then when you're doing that, they're not doing a handstand even though they physically are no yeah your mind right. is is to listening to your information <clears throat> and yep. they're always do like a call response if you do that to where it's like what does he say okay do what he says and what i want is is to provide an experience to where they're like they they find these insights and they like you know i guide them through the thing right where it's like yeah. oh um maybe this time we're gonna jump with bent knees how did that feel 
Yeah. No, my dad's running with my dad is that way, especially as he gets older mm-hmm. because he's slowing down and he, he puts a ton of miles in, but he's slow. So we'll go for a run and I'll say, Hey dad, you know, lean up, you know, lean up a little and it, it's total chaos. Oh, it makes yeah. it so bad. And then, <laughs> you know, like this a couple weekends ago, I'm like, dad, just try walking. Oh, okay. Well, he, he was running up the hill, but his pace, he was shuffling, you know, it was steep. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden his hiking pace, he's like, Oh, I'm going way slower. <laughs> I said, well, actually you're going faster, you know? And then he kind of got frustrated, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that same, same thing. Cause he's yeah. yeah. Sharing that with people. And that's, you know, that's, that's hard, man. And to be able to, some people are really good at that. I'm not so much. <laughs> I, I have a hard time myself, man. And especially when it's somebody you really know, like your kids yeah, um, or a parent or, you know, the somebody you spend a lot of time with, especially if it's somebody that you see yourself in, um, yeah. like my dad, it's like, I know what he's feeling and I know what he's thinking. Cause I'm him. I'm at plain as day. And, and oh. when I try to explain it, it's what, and he, he gets frustrated. Right. And, mm-hmm. But yeah, kids are the same. Yeah. You know, you look at your kid and they made a bad decision just like you did. And we had a little incident last week uh, that Paxton, you know, had to pay some repercussions for. And, and and I talked to him the next day and I told him the reason that I seem so upset is because I was disappointed in myself because I felt it was a decision that he, he could have made a better decision. And I was, I apologize for having to punish him for it, but you know, I, I tried to explain to him why I was also upset. Right. And I think yeah. he kind of got it, you know, mm-hmm. So those are beautiful moments when you can really connect with them that way, you know? Oh yeah. And kids are, you know, and I've told my wife it's hard because, you know, um, when you discipline your kids, um, and I remember doing it when I was little, um, in Paxton does it clearly as you discipline them and, and how kind of connected they want to be back with you. They want to be by your side. Paxton doesn't rarely hugs me. And for Mm -hmm. a day and a half, he wanted to be right next to me. Didn't want to leave my side. And, and I can see how, you know, a, a parent could abuse that. Mm-hmm. You, know, that you get power. It's horrible. And, yeah. I, and I felt horrible inside for it because the way that we went about it, because it shouldn't have to be like that. Right. But. And that's the hard thing that um, I, I want to say this, is that I would have the best intentions. And sometimes I find myself not being the best version of myself. Right. Yeah. And I get um, unwittingly. Oh, okay. I like your crazy hair. <laughs> oh you're not i can't wait to see how it comes out that um that's how i feel because i would be doing something that i thought was like this is why i get into the like the electronics cap and stuff i found a real shortcoming to this is that i can become corrupted without realizing it like i could be doing things because i think that it's i want the best for him and then i'm just being an asshole and I'm like, but I'm not doing that to like the, to try to be that way. But you find that you start, you start doing things that are not entirely rational or not for your original intent, but maybe you get caught up in the conflict in and of itself. Yeah. And I have to always be careful and watch myself and ask myself, why are you really doing this? And what do you really want to teach him? Yeah. Does that yeah. happen to you? Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's good. Cause I'm like, wait a minute. No, <laughs> it's, check your no, I, I mean, I'm trying to think it. I have a plenty of, I can give yeah, <laughs> yeah. stories going into a scenario and the outcome is completely different than where we ever started. But, yeah. and I think just with, 
you know, as you get older with, with your, your boy uh, stuff, just it, it starts to get easier. And I think the other piece of it is you're aware of it. Right. I mean, and that's where I feel fortunate is that maybe, maybe I don't know shit. I know that for a fact, but at least we, Pam and I talk about it. Um, you know, like I have opportunities like this to talk about those things and identify things <clears throat> that other people are going through. And it, it helps me think about how I'm going to process with my kids. Right. Rather than sitting alone or reading about it. I, I don't know that I would have enough, um, that it would help, you know, there'd be yeah. a, a tool there to use to help, help us through it. That's actually my struggle. Oh, I'm not my struggle. It's by the thing that I'm very excited about and I'm loving about my you know life in general is this experiential learning. And I've had experiences where like, you know, schools, uh, not to put it down or anything like that, but just, it was, um, very all, mostly theoretical. And a lot of things in terms of like emotional intelligence um, in my character and stuff, even if I read it in theory, I didn't know how to apply it, right? No. And it's it didn't make any sense to me. Math, like all these other things. If I was didn't school, have- was school, hard, was school hard for you? It was, yeah, it was really hard for me. Like I, at first I was getting straight A's in like sixth grade and stuff. And then after that, it was, it was real hard yeah. and I didn't want to be a part of it. Yeah, I never. It was it was easy, and I and I I didn't want to be there ever. Yeah, yeah. that's and that's what it was like because I was getting like all these straight A's and stuff, and then um, we moved to like North Idaho, and in North I we went from literally Northern California to Northern Idaho. My mom moved me there with some guys she met on the internet like three months ago. Yeah, and <laughs> and he was nuts, and it was a town of three hundred. Okay. And, we moved from the Bay Area to a town of 300 where nobody plowed your roads because it's not county roads. Yeah. You live up on the hill in the Rockies, and yeah. there's a there's bears in my driveway. My backyard is bordered by the National Forest. Yeah. And the nearest uh, grocery store is an hour and a half away. Right. And you had to do heat your own um, firewood. My mom never knew how to do any of that kind of stuff. And I'd go there, and people are like, oh, you're from California? And it was like, uh, I felt really isolated and that's when I did the overdosing thing. And after that, um, I overdosed in a town of like 2000 people. Okay. And so I was all over the paper and no one was allowed to hang out with me anymore. Uh, not that they ever really wanted to. And so I was just like, you know, that whole, uh, that whole like, uh, indie or outsider thing. Like, Oh, I don't want to belong anyway. And how, wait, how old are you? Uh, 12. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And like they, um, and my friends, when I overdosed, they left me in a ditch and I was like seizing or whatever. And some other girl called who was walking away from the volleyball game that I had nothing to do with. Um, and she's like, ah, oh, guy seizing because they found me in a ditch near school during a school event that I had nothing to do with. Yeah. Um, that was considered a school issue. So I got put on school probation. And when I was like that, there was only a small user group who would even like be willing to entertain spending time with me. Yeah. And usually those people lived over an hour away and my mom was always working. So it was that thing of like, couldn't get carted around. But, um, I learned that there was an alternative school. And so, but I have to get in trouble more to go to the alternative school. Yeah. And I'd tell my mom, listen, I can go here. There's all these people. And she's like, Oh no. I'm like, listen, people don't apply for scholarships as much here and they get more scholarships. So she's like, Oh, okay. And I fail a drug test. Oh no. She told me no, but I decided to just fail my drug test anyway. And like, <laughs> so I get sent to that school. And, um, when I go there, it's a, an alternative school and it's yeah. a collection of people who just didn't fit in in a variety of things. Yeah. Nobody was violent really. And we didn't have homework. So I was like, 
this works. And I call the teachers by first name, but my counselor there introduced me to, um, to meditation. My, my other teacher gave me a book, your money or your life. Um, And there, another one gave me the Tao Te Ching and I was going in there and I, I have a lot of people who are struggling and stuff and I was struggling in my own life, but most of it was like, fuck this shit. I want to hurry up and get out or I don't care about school. I started to turn around and I thought that if I came here um, and I could put some effort in, I can build a relationship with these, with these teachers and stuff. And while I was, so I I did that. And by the end of my high school, my senior year, I was doing like the dual enrolled in college classes. Okay. Um, But it was always like, uh, so I finally bought and sold into it, but I did it because it was the smart thing to do. Because my thing was, is I did all this, then I know I'd get scholarships and I know I'd be able to go to college and things would work out for me. But I had the discipline to be able to tell myself to do that. Right. And now I'm at a point in my life where I don't do those things entirely because of self-discipline. It's because that's the funnest way to live my life. Yeah. And I love that transition. And, and so when I was in school, I couldn't, it was easy. And, but this, the work, I only did it because it was what you're supposed to do. Right. But now I've tried to apply that same thinking to running, you know, to, to do like a 50 mile week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that when I'm really trying my best, that forcing myself to do things that I'm not interested in is not as effective or positive for my quality of life and my mindset, as is finding things that I'm very passionate about and working like hell to achieve that aim and do the things I might not want to do adjacent to that to make it happen. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. No, no, I I agree. No, you have purpose, right? And that's a, you have an end goal, you know, and and maybe it's just living the best life you can, but waking up every day thinking that, and you know, and that being the end game changes changes all of it. Yeah. You know I mean? How many years I just wake up and it was, I was telling about the other day, it was like a 18 pack of Keystone light at night and I'd get up in the morning and yeah, my focus was to get to work, put in again. And, and in all honesty, I told him, I said, back in the day, I said, I probably applied myself differently and probably more, you know, uh, during those times. Cause that's all I did. I would go to work, get my day in, you know, by on my way to work saying I was never going to drink again by three o'clock. I'm shooting out the door, buying a couple tall boys at the store and then getting an 18 pack before I get home. You know, and that's all I did. Um, what, how do you transit? How did you transition from that and, and be in this place where you're intrinsically valuing something else? Like, it seems like such a powerful shift for you. Um, man, I just hurt. I, it, it was a, it was a physical, it was always physical for me. It was, it was always something like in just being uncomfortable and, uh, and then seeing my dad, who was twice my age, he was running and getting in shape. And uh, oh, so he was doing that before you were bought into that. Yeah. Whole so, thing. so he's recovered. He when I was when I was thirteen, fourteen years old, my dad goes into Serenity Lane and he's you know locked up for his treatment. And uh, and then so he comes out. Uh, I was like Christmas. He was he was in there. And uh, yeah, I remember him. He wrecked his pickup trying to leave the house. He put it in the ditch and then he walked back up to the house and he was looking through the phone book. And I remember this plain as day standing there and him flipping through the phone book. Uh, and it was Serenity Lane, which was a treatment center. And then he had checked himself in. My brother came and picked him up, brother Pete, then took him in and uh, checked him in. And uh, that was when my dad got out. It was, you know, that was everything was different. Right. That That's when. Uh, yeah. So. Wow. 
yeah, so he went through that, but um, yeah, I lost my train of thought going trying to reel okay. back to complete the story. Um, um, did so using um, how was I say that? you going literally like switching and to be intrinsically motivated, have all these other things in your life, and then seeing your dad. Yeah. And he was running and he was, uh, that's, he, he was, it was, it was a time where our oldest boy was playing sports. I was racing motocross, my dad's 60 something and doing all these runs. And I thought I got to do something to get in better shape. And it was realizing how far out of shape I had gotten. You know, it was, I was a wreck. When you were doing motocross, were you sober at that point? No, no, I was socially, I mean, it was a regular thing. I mean, I wasn't drinking and writing, but afterwards it was on. Um, yeah. Do you, do you get the same feelings that you did from motocross and other things that you do now? Um, oh yeah. 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 That, that adrenaline running is very similar to it, you know, running around the trail hauling ass. I mean, yeah, even on a mountain bike, I got a mountain bike a few uh, last summer. Mm-hmm. It was similar. It's that same rush. You know, it's something mental for me. You know, I don't, there's. Do you feel like if you just did mount, if you did mountain biking, you didn't do, or not mountain biking, but dirt biking, and you didn't do those other things, do you feel like you would have to spend time um, exercising to be able to maintain your, like your, your health over time, or is mountain bike or dirt biking would cover it? Yeah, I think that when I was a kid and I was racing, that I was I was the happiest. That was the best times. It was when my bike was put up and it was blown up for a week or two that I was crushed. I can I can pinpoint the days looking back at it. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think uh, you know we'd go to the coast every weekend and ride. We'd be in the mount- mountains riding somewhere. I mean that was a going to you know going to work with a dirt bike in the back of the pickup. So after work you could go ride. You know it was that was a normal thing. Same thing through high school. We were riding all the time. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. I love getting to talk with Taylor as a father, someone who wrestles with, you know, um, craving intensity and sometimes picking up things that are do more harms than good and figuring out different ways to redirect that in a meaningful way. You know, it still hits all those buttons. And even then, it's not without its challenge because everything can hurt you in excess and it's really hard to understand where to draw that line I believe that's the most beautiful gift in life the lack of straightforwardness the lack of certainty because that's where you're empowered to be yourself to express your own point of view and define that through action in your own life to have self-realization you know um, there's an interesting thing that we have with with clothing and cars and um, I grew up in a generation which I believe did some some good and was a value with this point of view that said that um, you know regardless of how you dress you really can't tell judge a book by its cover and you don't really know who that person is and you should give them the benefit of the doubt and perhaps approach them or not just write them off how however I see a lot of value in that but if I can hold a contradictory thought in my head at the same time um, my car my body my house is a reflection of my my routine my consistent habits and my action it goes beyond my word 
It's my word embodied. It's my philosophy embodied. How clean my car is is an indication of how organized I am. If my car has artful decorations on it or different kinds of like maybe I painted it or I applied stickers to my car or I keep it clean um, or maybe my seats are ripped, it's an indication of who I am and what I value. The same for the clothes that I wear. And I see that people would refrain from uh, categorizing people and identifying them by their outside appearance and I do value that and that's a part of my life but at the same time I realize that that is how we attain our sense of belonging when it's applied to the right context you know when I see a climber that has a climber or a person that has a climber sticker or an ultra running shirt or hat I immediately feel at home like I know that person and I feel comfortable to be able to reach out and connect with them. In a world devoid of all of that, to where everyone was the same and everyone had the same overlapping quality, like if we had a uniform, then maybe it, nobody would stick out to me amongst the crowd because it would just become the crowd. It would be meaningless. But with these um, abilities to be distinct in who we are and create these kinds of groups within a larger group, we're actually able to connect with each other um, on a bigger level and where where there's fear that you create these cliques and that people will have separation and division i think diversifying our interests is where we find our unity because i might be interested in jujitsu but the, everyone who does jujitsu with me um, has different interests that are not exactly like mine and the communities that i meet in say painting are not going to be the exact same communities in jujitsu and I can relate to someone who is perhaps only a painter and not doing jujitsu because we are the same thing and we are part of a larger group. And that's where I think music and all of these different micro groups and culture is really important. And if you can find yourself feeling lost and, and alone, if you can just go out and find some kind of group in your local community that you can touch and feel, people you can shake their hands, you can greet and say hi to, um, you know, in the real world, um, developing that community. And if you can't, developing it online is important too, whether it's through game, video games or um, different interest-based activities. Something that you can give yourself structure for, for the sake of doing it. And it's a really beautiful thing if you can find that groove for yourself. And someone like Taylor Spike is the literal fucking embodiment of that. And no matter what you think going, when you hear this person's perspective, being able to run 200 some odd miles fundamentally requires maybe not just a certain level of fitness, but a certain mindset. And that mindset is the unifying factor across all other runners. It's beautiful. And it's not just running. And it's not just fitness. It's more than that. It's just self-actualization through mastery or acquiring a skill set that is inherently meaningful to you it's beautiful anyway thank you guys for listening you can find out more at becomingHumanPodcast.com. check out taylor spike um, on instagram at t spike two and on the website i also left a link in the show notes to a article that was written about Taylor from Coagla. I think that's how you say that. They're the light company. 
they make headlamps and different running lights, which are pretty magnificent. I believe they make trekking poles too. And uh, thanks for Trevor Hall for the sick song. I loved it. It was pretty on point, and it, it's a way for me to remember the things I learned from Taylor. I love doing that, finding songs that remind me of, of people that have important things to share to me that are meaningful and using that song to connect that information to it so I can have a three-minute reminder instead of having an hour-long revisit. <laughs> Anyways, have a great time. Bye.